If you have your Bibles, turn to John chapter 20. We're in our sermon series. We only have a couple more weeks, and uh, so we're in our sermon series called The Final Steps. These are the last steps of Jesus Christ as he takes uh, the week of Passion Week. Um, So it's uh, Palm Sunday through Resurrection Sunday, and uh, so we're covering the resurrection now has already taken place, and so we're in John chapter 20 uh, to look at some, a very interesting uh, situation that happened. Our sermon series, our sermon title is called When Doubts Arise. And uh, so let me ask you this question. When, when you decided to accept Christ, maybe you were in high school or at work or something, and, and it, it, it became known that you were a Christian, uh, had any, it, it, did anybody ever ask you, how can Christians be so sure of a heaven and that their way is the only right way. I mean, there are hundreds uh, of religions and hundreds of cults. What makes you so sure that Christianity is the only way? Well, we might read an article or watch a documentary that tries to poke holes in our beliefs and lingering questions that we had can become serious doubts. We like to, uh, we feel like we need to ask some questions, and that we do need to question a few things, but we're almost afraid to ask those questions out loud. We wonder if God will be angry with us because we have doubts. Many college students are required to take introduction to philosophy, and uh, many of the professors that teach those classes are atheists. And many of these atheist professors declare that it's their job to get the students to question everything they have ever believed in, specifically in the area of religion. Many Christians go to secular colleges with, without a firm understanding of what they believe and why they believe it. They just believe it because they were told that's what the Bible says, or they were told that's what you're supposed to believe. And so then they graduate from college, and many leave the university without even believing in God anymore. They couldn't get past the doubts that were raised when their beliefs were questioned. Well, it's natural to doubt. As an example, when I was very first served ceviche for the, for the very first time, I doubted whether I would like it or not. And I don't like it. My doubts were well-founded. It's a, it's a weird dish. I don't trust anything that doesn't cook in an oven or a saucepan. If you tell me it cooks in lime juice, I'll just pass that on to somebody else. Um, many of us doubt whether our favorite sports team has what it takes to win the championship this year. I don't know. They traded away a really good player. I don't know if they've got what it takes. We doubt whether our child has cleaned their room like they said they did. Um, we, when we hear news that's absolutely astounding, we immediately doubt it because it's too crazy to be true. There was a disciple of Jesus Christ who only expressed doubt one time, but we have never let him forget it. Christianity has hung it over his head for 2,000 years, and he is even recognized by the Roman Catholic Church as the patron saint of doubters. I'm speaking, of course, of 
Doubting Thomas. Yeah, see, you already knew. Doubting Thomas. Man, this guy can't catch a break. In John chapter 20, Jesus was raised from the dead, and he appeared to Mary Magdalene. But the disciples did not believe her testimony. Then two men who had been walking on the road to Emmaus had an encounter with Jesus. They made their way back to Jerusalem, and they told the disciples, and the disciples didn't believe their testimony. So it's really not doubting Thomas, it's doubting disciples. And then all of a sudden, Jesus walked through a locked door and appeared to them all. Well, all except Thomas. And this is where we pick up the story in John chapter 20, verses 24 through 25. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin. There's a little interesting note. He was a twin. We don't know fraternal or identical, but he had a twin brother. Um, Thomas called the twin. He was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But Thomas said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, and that's where Jesus had the spear thrust into his side, I will never believe. Have you ever felt like you were the last one to know something? Like the last one to hear that a friend got engaged, the last one to hear about a friend being pregnant, the last one to hear that a friend is moving away. It's not fun being the last to know. We have in our family one person who all the time says, I'm always the last to know. And we say, because we don't like you. No, I'm just kidding. We don't say that. We don't say that. It's not fun being the last to know, and that was Thomas. Because of this one instance of being told something that was impossible for his mind to conceive of, he doubted they were telling the truth. He thought they were playing a joke on him. He couldn't believe their story. Now, his doubts were a little extreme. He didn't say, unless I see Jesus for myself, I won't believe. He said, unless I put my finger into the holes of Jesus' hand and my hand into the hole in Jesus' side, I will never believe. In essence, he was saying, I saw him die. And if I cannot do those things, you will never Convince me that it's really Jesus. How much more emphatic could Thomas have been? To be fair, it had been the most traumatic weekend of their lives. And this was a sick and cruel joke that the disciples were playing on him had it not been true. I'm sure the disciples spoke up, and they, they did all they could to convince him. They're like, no, Thomas, he walked through a wall, man. He said, do you have any fish? And we gave him fish, and he ate the fish, and spirits don't eat. And then he breathed on us. But Thomas did not appear to have accepted their testimony And we know this because of what John recorded next. In John 20, 26 to 27, it says this. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. 
Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Shalom Aleichem, peace be with you. And then Jesus said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Now, the first thing I want you to see here is the amount of time, the length of time that passed between the time the disciples told Thomas Jesus had risen and the occasion when Christ appears to Thomas. Eight days later. Eight days of doubting, which is probably why we call him Doubting Thomas. Eight days of thinking that your disciple friends are the worst human beings on the planet. Because they, they're keeping up the story. No, he really did appear. Oh, well, where is he? I don't see him. I have never seen him after he died on the cross. Eight days of questioning everything you believe in. Eight days of knowing that if the story is real, Jesus should show up at any moment. But he didn't. Not on Monday. Not on Tuesday. Not on Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. Not until the next Monday. Eight days later after he appeared to the other disciples. Makes you never want to leave the house again, you know? But when Jesus appeared this time, it was just for Thomas. Isn't that such an amazing thing about our God? That he offers grace and salvation to everyone, but he also knows just how to speak to us individually to belay our doubts, our fears, and our concerns. And when he speaks peace to us, our hearts are truly and finally at peace. In his book, Confessions, St. Augustine said, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our hearts are restless until they find rest in you. Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We live in a world filled to the brim with restless people. They're searching for truth and they end up medicating themselves when they don't find it. They self-medicate with entertainment, with sports, alcohol, drugs, materialism, plastic surgery, gender reassignments, and all sorts of things so that someone or something will finally tell them who they really are. And until a person realizes that God created them, that God put his seal of ownership upon their lives, and that God is the only one that gets to define them, they will always seek to belong to something, to someone. Now, doubting is not uncommon, and I don't think that doubting is sinful. It's natural for us to doubt something that's too good to be true. Sometimes we're like the father of that demon-possessed boy in Mark chapter 9, because he brought his son to the disciples. Jesus was away with uh, 
the top three disciples, Peter, James, and John. And while Jesus was away with Peter, James, and John, this man of a demon-possessed boy, the father of a demon-possessed boy, came to his other disciples and said, Would you please deliver my son? He's cruelly possessed by demons and afflicted. The disciples couldn't do it. And so when uh, Jesus shows up, the father turns to Jesus and he says, If you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. To which Jesus replied, and I love this because you can kind of sense a little bit of a sense of humor from Jesus. He says, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. This man was talking not to some uh, transient prophet, not to some rabbi or random teacher, This man was talking to the Son of God, the creator of the universe, the king of all kings. And this man said, if you can do something about this, and Jesus took exception to his statement, if you can. Brother, you don't even know what I can do. And so the father replied, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's almost a contradiction. And we can be like that, Father. We can believe that God is good, and we can believe that God can heal. We believe that God can provide. We believe that God can make a way. But we're not 100% sure that he'll do it for us. So our wavering faith expresses it in our hearts as if to say, I'm trying to believe. Help my unbelief. In one of the most beautiful, life-changing moments, certainly for Thomas, Jesus outstretched his hand with an invitation to place his finger in the hole where the nail had been. Jesus didn't berate Thomas. He didn't embarrass him. He didn't criticize him. He offered Thomas a special invitation. He did not extend this same invitation to any of the other disciples. God does not want to leave us in our doubts. He wants to answer those questions that plague us and keep us from moving forward. Jesus knows how to deal tenderly with those things that cause us to question him and his work in our lives. Some of you may have been reading the book that we have in the foyer. It's free copy, and, and I encourage you, if you didn't take one, get one. I don't agree with everything the author says. The author comes from a uh, background that's a little bit different from mine. He's not a Pentecostal. He is a, a Southern Baptist, Calvinist, um, and so we do differ on a few points of theology, but overwhelmingly, there's a lot of good content in that book. So with everything, you just have to read it and, and interpret it based on, you know, what, what Scripture says and what, what you believe. But one of the things that he says, what I, th- I thought was really profound, is he said, we look at the life of Christ in the Gospels and we see how tender he is to hurting people. But then when we 
have an experience with Jesus Christ now exalted in heaven, we kind of think he's, he's mad. Like he's mad all the time. He's disappointed in us all the time. That he's just angry every time we fail, every broken thing, every, every, every time that we just totally blow it. We just think that he's angry all the time. And it prevents us from seeing Jesus Christ the way he really is. He didn't change his character from the time when he was on the earth to the time he sat on the throne. That same tender-hearted Christ on earth is the tender-hearted Christ in heaven. And his heart is still turned towards us. He still loves us and has compassion on us. And he is there with us in our brokenness. He's there with us in our failures and our weaknesses because he himself bore our weaknesses. I grew up as a preacher's kid. I was in church the very first Sunday after I was born. How's that for perfect attendance? Anytime I was sick, I was informed by my father I was coming to church anyway, and they would just pray for me. And I said, but what if I die? And he said, well, that's good because we believe in resurrection. I was involved in Sunday school, in Royal Rangers, in Children's Church, in Vacation Bible School, and youth group. And I was saturated with church three times a week, minimum. Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, we'd also have prayer meetings, we'd have week-long revivals, we would have all sorts of reasons to be at church, all right? And so my calendar was full. I was not allowed to be involved in any extracurricular activity that would cause me to miss church. So when I was in high school, I played soccer, and um, I, any game that was on a Wednesday night, I couldn't go. I, I was, couldn't, couldn't play because Wednesday night I had a prior commitment that my parents made for me. I was going to be at church. And so when I was in my high school years, there was a moment in time where I, I looked at myself in the mirror and I asked if I really believed everything that I had grown up hearing. I questioned everything that I had ever read in the Bible and questioned uh, the validity of other religious books. My purpose was not to prove the Bible wrong, as some people try to do. My, I had decided that if I was really going to be a Christian, if I was going to be a follower and disciple of Jesus Christ, I had to know that this is truth. I had to be 100% convinced that Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. I had to be convinced that all other roads would lead to deception and to eternal damnation. And in, in this time of doubt and discovery, I dug into the Word of God. Not less. If you try to have that spiritual experience and draw, pull away from God, you will not have a positive experience. 
So I decided to read more of the Bible than ever before, to pray more. I was hungry for truth. And I believed that if God was truth, he would reveal that to me. And so I never asked God to prove himself to me. I really asked God, how can I prove myself to you? I was the one who had questions. God didn't have any doubts. He didn't have any questions. I I was the one that was wavering in my faith. God wasn't doubting. God wasn't wavering. God didn't have to prove one more thing to me than he has shown this entire world through his vast creation. And the Bible says that the heavens declare the glory of God. I wanted God to open my eyes to see that. I wanted God to open my eyes to see past all the clutter, all the confusion, all the noise of this world. I wanted to see him high and lifted up. I wanted to know the truth so that when the world threw its worst at me, my faith would never waver. And for those of you that know some of the background of our lives, we got hit with storms, some of the worst you can go through. But through it all, in every single season of my life, I have known God to prove himself as faithful and gracious and loving and good. And we, like Thomas, can look to our risen Savior and express the same words of awe and wonder that he ex- exclaimed in John 20, 28, my Lord and my God. See, some people say that the Bible never declares that Jesus really is the Son of God. Here, Thomas recognized he is Lord. He is God. What other response is there to have when you are face-to-face with a God who comes down on our level, who puts himself in our filthy and wicked world, who reaches out his hand to lift us up out of the despair and the doubt and the darkness that we find ourselves in? What can we say to a God like that who welcomes our questions, who longs to know us personally and relate to us intimately? What kind of a God does that? The one true God. That's who. When we could not bridge the gap between God and ourselves, The cross became that bridge. The cross of Jesus Christ became the bridge for us to be reconciled with a father who loves us. A father who loves us. You may not have ever been in a relationship with a father who loves you. You may not know what it's like to be under the care of a loving father. But you have a father who loves you, who cares for you, who wants good for you. And he will bring it to pass when you surrender your life to him. And you say, God, you can take all of these broken pieces and you can put them together 
that can make something whole and beautiful, something only you can do. I'll ask our worship team to come up. Would you please stand with me this morning? I want you to understand, as I said earlier, everybody has doubts. It's normal to have doubts. It's not normal to stay in those doubts. Everybody goes through times of questions, why they believe what they believe. And it's important to actually do that because if you don't know why you believe what you believe, then you really don't believe it. If somebody comes along and argues, well, you believe that that this is this and the Bible says this, come on, man, read a science book. If you can be easily persuaded because you don't have a personal understanding and conviction of what the Bible teaches, then you can be easily persuaded to stop believing those things. You need to know what you believe, and you need to know why it's important to believe it. Everybody goes through times of doubts and questions, but don't let those doubts distract you from God's goodness. Don't let doubts derail the plan that God has for your life. Don't let your doubts prevent you from going to a deeper understanding of Jesus Christ. I, 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 I'm glad that our missionary Priscilla shared this, this example of when she was in Cuba and God called her to the mission field and she was like, I don't know. It's a huge commitment. It's a sacrifice because you, you have these things that you feel like God has put in your life and they're for your good, and God has given you a great job and a great opportunity and a great life, but he begins to deal with you and say, but are you willing to give up the good to get what's best? And we have to all come to that understanding in every area of our life. Are we willing to give up something that's good to accept the best from his hand? Our doubts can prevent us from going deeper with Christ. When you have doubts, don't pull away from Christ. Draw nearer to him so that he can answer your questions. Matt Redman is a worship leader from England. And uh, so he's written several songs that we've sung here and, and uh, very well-known songs. And so he and his family have been on staff at Passion Church in Atlanta for a couple of years, and they had come to a period of transition in their ministry. And they had packed up their house. Everything was in the moving van. And uh, so he was standing in this empty house, about to embark on a new journey. They were going back to England to do ministry. And he thought back over the past years of ministry. He thought about the opportunities that God had opened For him, he thought about the challenges that God had put in his path. And in that empty house, a chorus came to him, and he began to sing this phrase. He said, never once did we ever walk alone. Never once did you leave us on our own. You are faithful. God, you are faithful. Never once, never once. And I can testify to that declaration as well. Never once has God left me on my own to figure things out. Never once has God abandoned me or forsaken me in my most heartbreaking and difficult moments. 
not on one single occasion in 44 years of life did God ever abandon me or forsake me. If you can say that as well, would you raise your hand? And if you're here today and you've got doubts and discouragements, you can look around to see those with their hands up. That we have times where we doubt, but God wants to move us just like he moved Thomas from doubt to certainty. What he did for those of us who've walked with Christ for a long time, the faithfulness that he has uh, done in our lives, he'll do in your life as well. What he did for me, he can do for you. He doesn't love me more than he loves you. He didn't do something for me that he'll refuse to do for you. Jesus wants you to move forward from doubts to certainty. So when you have doubts, don't, don't beat yourself up. Don't feel like you're a bad Christian for having doubts. Draw near to the Father so that he can answer those questions that you have so that he can help you move from doubt to certainty. We're going to sing. We're going to close our service in a song. And then at the end of the song, I'll come back up and we'll lead in prayer this morning. Worship with us this morning.